Welcome to the Pylon Ultra Podcast and this very special edition today, I, James Stewart, will be speaking to Paul Giblin. Hello, Paul. And today, tonight, as it is for us as we record, we're going to talk to Paul about his recent epic end-to-end trail where he ran the length of Great Britain from Land's End to John O'Groats all on trail. And this podcast episode has been a long time coming Getting Paul and I together at the same time in the same country with some time available to have the chat has proven a bit difficult, but we're delighted to be having the chat tonight. I'm going to test Paul's memory about what he remembers about the trail itself. I'm just going to dive deep into actually what it meant and what some of the things Paul learned as he went through that journey from Land's End to John O'Groats all on trail. So strap yourselves in, grab yourself a coffee or enjoy the run or the walk you're on just now as you listen to us and get ready to hear about Paul's end-to-end trail journey. So there's your intro. Nice. Okay. Paul, before we... Or actually, I'll do that again. Paul, before we start talking about the journey, let's just ask you, how are you and what you've been up to in the, the, the last few weeks? I'm okay, James. I uh, Like you said, I'm back in Scotland I was back in Chamonix only for maybe less than two weeks. I finally managed to get back. I hadn't been there since I left uh, towards the end of December in 2020. Uh, that wasn't my plan, obviously. I was just coming back for Christmas for uh, 10 days and then heading back. But we had the second lockdown, which kind of changed everything. Um, so uh, I'm back. Uh, we had our Pylon Experience event a couple of weekends ago. That uh, was our postponed one I think we were originally going to do it in March or something uh, early in the year but with the whole lockdown thing we couldn't get it done um, so we moved it over to October um, and it was up in Tyndrum uh, James you weren't able to come unfortunately but uh, we had a really good time really great bunch of people I think there was maybe about 30 of us plus the organising committee as well so all in all probably about 35 of us uh, just for a weekend of getting together again and pretending we're normal human beings and able to interact on a normal level uh, which, which was great we had a couple of runs the weather wasn't great so um, we had to cut some of them short but lots of learning lots of laughs yeah and some I, good I don't know if good. you call it FOBO when you've got fear of missing out because fear's kind of like a future thing almost in the sense that oh I'm going to miss out on this but when I was seeing the pictures coming through over the weekend I had um, definite levels of FOMO albeit um, as you say I couldn't make it because I was a, I was off ski on a family holiday um, that weekend yeah, um, and you're back training and stuff properly now. You you getting back up to um, speed post the end to end. Yeah, I've been training pretty consistently, but not anything like I would do normally. I've not been doing the same amount of intensity and stuff. It hasn't all felt absolutely great at the moment and I think that's partly when you don't have something clear to focus on uh, which I'm getting to the stage I do have something so um, yeah I'm back running every day and, and that's no problem at all but I definitely don't have the same kind of edge as I would normally but all you know, good what about um, yourself James? I think I talked about it the, the, the last time we spoke I, um, I'd been struggling since pretty much since the five coastal path with a, a, an array of little niggles which weren't taking me out the game completely but we're just meaning I wasn't able to get back to the level of training and intensity that I want to. But I feel that the last four weeks, actually since I was away on holiday in Dunbar, I've just found that gear that was missing and able to run pain-free because I've had some calf issues and some back issues. And now I feel like I'm just really excited about the winter ahead, Paul. So um, as you'll know from the, the conversations we're, we're having, so... I, I feel yeah. really optimistic about the next 6, 10, 12 months on a whole bunch of levels. So, yeah, I'm in good shape. It's been a bit of a learning process for both of us, I think, because I'm so used to you just being able to train and me being able to dial up the intensity, you know, consistently. Um, and I think that's what you've been used to doing from a training perspective too. So it's been a bit of a learning process and you've had to be incredibly patient and I've had to try and yeah, wind yeah, back I think a bit. As you say, we've learned a lot and listen, I'm not getting any younger either. So um, learning a bit of patience is not a bad thing as you get uh, get to my age. So yeah, not only will I learn how to train better um, and train my body better, but also how to just sit back and enjoy has been good as well. So listen, Paul, we've got lots and lots and lots yeah. to talk about. Um, and I would really love this episode to be one where people not only hear about your journey, but learn about 
some of the things you did, your preparation, and also even some of the mistakes you've made and the things that they, if they have aspirations of doing an epic multi-day challenge, um, want to undertake. So I've said the words end-to-end trail a few times um, in the intro and as we we, we begin at the start of this conversation, but I just want to paint a picture with your assistance about what the the end-to-end trail was. (laughs) Um, So the end-to-end trail, as I see it, was taking one of the hardest runs available in the UK mainland and making it harder, which was taking Land's End to John O'Groats and choosing to do it all on trail, which is not which is not a journey many yep. people have undertaken, um, and especially attempting to run it over a period of time. So it would be really good just to bring to life for people what that looks like, because Land's End to John O'Groats, Dan Lawson recently broke 10 days and was the first person to do that. Um, you might contest that based on GWR stuff and what have you, but I'm certainly convinced Dan's the first person to do it on under 10 days across the 870 or so miles it takes to do it on road. End-to-end trail, end-to-end trail, yeah. lands into John O'Groats. How many miles do you add to that 870 to make up the, the trail journey? The There is a guidebook that exists for it, um, and that puts it down at 1,215, I think, 1,215 miles. Um, it's not it's not hugely accurate from from me doing it anyway and me measuring it on my watch every day um it's a good it's a little bit longer than that but it's it's a fair chunk longer than than the road route and obviously on top of that you've got 51,000 meters of ascent or something so there's a fair amount of climbing and descending in it too which there there is some in the road version as well obviously um but really it's the underfoot terrain that maybe dictates um the pace of it and how tough it can be in in some surprising yeah, areas that, well, sometimes. I certainly seen some of the pictures you were sharing on social media and whether it was steps stones or nettles there was all there was always some sort of obstacle yeah. to overcome every day yeah. So, so Paul, yeah. when so yeah, that, that kind of gives a sense of scale in terms of elevation and length, and I think we'll get into talking a wee bit about what the journey itself was like, and as we get to the end of it, we'll kind of talk about how long it took as well. But it's a ve- it's very different from the Lejog journey because you're right; it's got elevation galore, it's got underfoot challenges, um, and <clears throat> you're not taking the, the the fastest route possible. When did you plant the seed? to do this and what sort of watering did you put in that little seed in the piling plant pot to um to make it come to fruition when did this first come to your mind james it's a it's a bit of an odd story and uh actually it was about eight nine years ago i was in a library in renfrew where i went to school um, and I was looking in the discard pile, James, and there was a guidebook for the end-to-end trail that they were throwing away for 20 pence, um, and I picked it up, and I'd never heard of it before, seen anything about it before, um, and it's got that kind of iconic picture on the front of John O'Groats and the cliffs up in John O'Groats, and uh, I picked it up for 20 pence, and I kind of thought to myself, that'd be amazing to run that one day, but the logistics alone are just I just couldn't possibly even think about it at the time and I just wasn't ready either you know it was a long time ago I I can't remember if I'd run 100 miles or not at that point but it was something that I kind of just planted a really small seed in my mind at that point I thought maybe that'd be cool to come back to at some point and then obviously we've talked already in the podcast probably in the last one or the last couple anyway the last couple of years racing's been seriously disrupted for everyone and 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 my life was immediately very different then. So it's not like I have the kind of job where I work from home and my whole focus the last, I don't know, seven years maybe has been traveling to races, doing my prep for the races, racing on the co- uh, training on the course, having some adventure around that and then moving on to the next event. And I've done that for quite a long time now. So it wasn't like I was just having to adapt to moving from office working to working at home, which which I know is a significant change for people but my whole life changed because I was kind of felt like I was locked down so um, it kind of hurt me quite a lot the whole lockdown thing and I still felt like I wanted to do something that was bold I knew 2021 there's going to be some races back on I was supposed to be doing the Tour de Giant but I was kind of worried what's going to happen will Italy get locked down can I really get enough of that kind of 
training done, specific training, when I haven't been able to go back home to Chamonix, all that kind of stuff was going through my mind and I knew I still wanted to do something. So then we talked about it maybe a couple of podcasts ago uh, about the Kate Rath FKT that I did with Graham and it kind of gave me some belief that I could do something here in the UK maybe but it's like what do you do that's bigger than Cape Wrath and finishing Cape Wrath in under four days I was like well I, I don't want to just do another trail that's 200 miles long or something because I've kind of I know I can do that so I was looking for something that was maybe a bit bigger bolder and a bit tougher potentially and maybe like I've got other thoughts and plans and ideas and stuff but Instead of thinking that I always have to be, you know, traveling to the US or going to Europe or doing something in the Alps in order for it to be bold and different, then maybe there's something I could do in the UK. And that idea started to bubble in my mind a little bit. And then I used to do these things with my dad quite a lot. So um, when I first picked up that book in the library, I kind of thought, well, I would have to do it when my dad retired and he could kind of follow along in the van and, and look after me for a, for however long it was going to take. And that would be the only way I could ever do it. And obviously, you know, I don't have that opportunity anymore. And and I think back to some of the adventures that I did have with my dad because of my running. And he used to really enjoy going to places that he'd never really have a reason to go to any other time. Um, so in a way, I kind of thought, well, there's there's a a good way for me to try to come to terms with me accepting, you know, that my dad's not here anymore, that I kind of go on this adventure and I kind of take him along with me in some ways and go to places that we've both never been to before in the UK and and, and think about how much he would have loved being there with me. So um, I had a number of reasons to try and do this, really. And then doing something for me in the UK as well gives me an opportunity to to connect with other people too and and maybe I don't know maybe have some conversations with people about what running means to them and how it's important in their life and and having access to trails how that changes their life so um, I kind of had a lot of reasons to try and do it that was it in a nutshell James I mean that's um, it's quite the story isn't it from a a 20 pence book in Renfrew Library um, to um, just that emotion and the connection you felt with it and I think there's quite a lot to unpack in all of that Paul in, in the sense that if you think about it you've gone from this little seed that book was yeah. almost your seed to then actually there's two or three really material life affirming life changing events yep. happened in there obviously your, your dad passing the, the specter of Covid your, 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 your migration from being I guess a recreational runner to a you know, to becoming your profession and your career in terms of both coaching and support, all of that coalesces and comes together and saying, I want to do something big. But yeah. I, what, what I chuckled a lot at as you were going through that was just, you know, you'd done the Cape Wrath thing, you'd done that in under four days, and you're thinking, I want something bigger and bolder. Um, and, and, and I guess it doesn't really get much bigger than, you know, trying to run that logistically over so many days and weeks and actually you're getting into you know you're into the realms of planning and weeks in terms of running from Lands End to John O'Groats on trail so how how much planning went into that Paul because clearly yeah. when you went to Cape Wrath it felt like it felt like mom will, do, mom will do Cape Wrath and the stars aligned and you you were on the you were literally in the van the last podcast we talked about this in the van on the way up doing some of the planning and the splits how much effort went into planning this in comparison James, I'll be honest. It, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't hugely different from that. Um, I came out of Cape Wrath, and maybe within a week or so, this idea was 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 ticking over in my mind, and I'm thinking, well, maybe this is the time. And I, I try to, I try to see some positives in in difficult situations if I can, right? And I'm not always great at it, but I, I try to, or I like to imagine that things happen for a reason sometimes, right? So, we had this lockdown in January. And I couldn't get back and I was only back for Christmas and then it turns out Graham and I had conversations and we ended up doing Cape Wrath, right? So I was trying to see, well, maybe I was meant to do Cape Wrath and then I was thinking, well, if I was meant to do Cape Wrath, what, what is that leading on to? And then this idea came back into my mind and I thought, well, maybe this was this was 
this was meant for me and this is the thing I was supposed to do and I was supposed to do Cape Wrath and test myself over four days and now I'm supposed to go and do something bigger that is really something for me and not something just going out and doing a race again and trying to have a better performance so um, as far as the planning had gone obviously um, I'm out for a much longer period so Cape Wrath I can get away with being organised with work and it didn't really affect anyone this was going to be over a period of weeks so a lot of my effort and work went into the planning how am I going to manage the athletes that I coach over that period how can I still make sure they're getting what they need from me so a lot of my time went into that really um, rather than the actual ins and outs of of the planning the day to day of what was going to happen um, in the event so I spoke quite early to Gav and to Graham. Gav crewed for us at uh, Cape Wrath Trail. Graham was obviously running Cape Wrath Trail and, and talked about this idea. And they were both pretty supportive and said, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, you know, we'll help where we can. Um, Graham couldn't come out. He's got other family stuff going on and whatever, but he said he would maybe see if he could help with the planning. And some of that didn't quite work out uh, just because I really wasn't able to commit some time early on to say this is what I'm going to do every day and these are the kind of miles and this is exactly where the route goes and all that stuff so um, it was kind of down to Gavin and I in the end um, and Gav said he could commit a couple of weeks at least um, to coming out so that gave me the kind of green light to to make it happen um, so we definitely we definitely left Paisley we had a route we had the distances and made a rough plan of timings but I don't think we really had any idea of how we'd do each day and what the biggest challenges and the biggest issues were going to be it's something that was kind of new to both of us and and you can't you just can't plan for everything and I think we both accepted that quite early on which which made the first couple of weeks a little bit easier and that we were just dealing day to day um with what we had to with what was presented to us really um so we're both pretty committed from the start but we're still quite relaxed that we knew we had the capacity to work through any issues that were going to crop up and it was always going to be like we'll focus on today and we'll do some planning for tomorrow and then the rest we're just going to have to you know work on the next day and that's generally how how the approach was throughout rather than saying you know we absolutely have to be doing those number of miles on that day and those number of miles on the next day and and that wasn't immediate you know in the first couple of days I was probably down a wee bit in terms of the distance that I'd done but I'd sat on a laptop James with a guidebook and said oh yeah I can definitely do that in that time and I can do it in that time and the reality when you're on the ground is very different um, even in areas that you think are going to be you know quite easy days they're quite flat and you're going to get you're easily going to get 80, 90, 100 kilometres done in a day but it didn't turn out that way quite often so we just got into a a, quite a quick routine about planning what we're doing that day and what we're going to aim to get done tomorrow and then just adapt it's quite interesting when you hear you talking day. about all that adaptability and resilience and response that Aye. you're having to do in this particular route so rather than being a slave to a preordained plan you're effectively living and breathing some of the stuff we've talked about in some of the pilot ultra pods about you know not being stuck with some preordained plan that you don't have influence over and I guess for you guidebook's one thing but actually you've never had boots on the ground in a lot of these trails so you're having to react to what you're coming up against whether it's a a closed gate or a two mile stretch of trail that looks flat on a map or flat on a gpx but it's actually full of nettles and bogs um and did you realize that quite early on in the the, the run yeah yeah <laughs> and, and and what yeah yeah i think so and and you, you 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 can you can only go by by the guide you know so uh, I probably I probably fought with it James for the first ten days you know because I'm frustrated when it says it's it's thirty k this section and you get to the end and it's thirty four and it doesn't sound a huge amount but when you've when you've had your mindset that it's thirty k and it's thirty four and the section you did was two kilometers more before it and the section you're going to do next you don't know for sure if it's going to be fifteen k or it's going to be twenty k um, then. That, that can be quite difficult sometimes and you get to a point actually James the, the biggest probably the biggest learning for me from the whole thing happened in the first three or four days the first three or four days I I was almost fighting myself mentally I was fighting against the enormity of what I was trying to do and I was saying I should be feeling better and, and this should be moving more quickly and I should look like I'm further up the map than I am at the moment and I, I, I kind of fought that for a few days and eventually you get to the point that you just have this acceptance that well it, it is the way it is and you're going to have to just keep getting up 
the next day and you get up the next day and you get up the next day and you do it again and that's all you can do and actually when I accepted that it's funny like that that felt to me like it was a mental problem right and it was a mental battle for me um, particularly in the first two or three days and um, when I accepted that mental battle and and there was no battle anymore actually I physically felt better my legs felt better and everything felt better and it might have just been coincidence you know timing wise or something but um, when I let that go and I just accepted where so I was it's really interesting um, hearing you talking Paul about you know your experience and how you felt um, as you started to get into that and how you were having to adapt to the, the conditions when you were standing in Land's End on day one you'd been through the guidebook and what have you but did you have a sense of how big this was on day one um, and there was obviously there's factors you didn't know about that came to light how big it was on day one or was there a point when that started to dawn on you as you were going through the journey I, I don't think it really dawned on me um, as I got ready for it and we got down there so as is the same with any of these things James you're kind of stressed about getting ready and you've got a long travel to get down there and get everything organised so I think we got down there late afternoon on the Sunday I think to Land's End but we'd stopped on a Saturday night on the way down so I could do some work that evening and late into the night and then early morning so I could finish and then we stopped again in Cornwall Sunday afternoon so I could do a few more hours of work and I think we finally got down there like almost at evening time and there's a big I don't know if you've been down to Land's End but there's a couple of kind of big car parts but you're not supposed to park overnight and it's a bit of a weird place James to be honest and uh, we weren't sure if we could park there but we had no other options anyway so we parked there and had some dinner, the weather got bad, it was pretty wet and miserable and we had some conversations about well, what we're going to do and all, all we could really, all the conversations we could have were what we're going to try and do tomorrow rather than thinking, you know, you can't think two weeks ahead, what's it going to be like when we're in the Peak District or what we're going to do when we get back to Scotland, all that stuff. Um, so I didn't really think too much about it and then we had an early alarm, we would proposed we'd start at 7am so with an early alarm call you're trying to get everything ready you're not in a routine by that point so it's getting breakfast getting the van packed away and ready to go it was a bit of a rush to get down there and get the gps device on and everything as well so i don't think i really thought about it it was only maybe even half an hour into it you look down and and when you've got when you're following the gps route on your watch or something it gives you and I just had it as a single file rather than having multiple files and all the hassle that would cause. But it gives you the remaining distance to run uh, any time you look at it, which, yeah, it was useful sometimes. But early on, you're looking down and you've been maybe running for a few hours and it still said 1,900 and something kilometres to run. <laughs> so um, I think then I was thinking, OK, this is, this is, this is going to be a while. Um, and then I kind of made the mistake, I think, in the first four or five days I'd maybe when we'd finish at night I'd want to look at the GPS tracker online which has got a map obviously and you look at it and you feel like you put in a big effort James and you've run you know a really decent distance and you're making progress and then when you zoom out on the actual map you realise I've not even done a tiny section at the bottom here never mind you know even get halfway into the middle of England never mind the rest so uh, that was kind of hard sometimes and you you had to deal with that mentally and um, the scale of it and just try and deal with a day at a time but it wasn't easy you know you, you can't help but think of what you still have to do particularly when you're waking up sometimes and you're getting up early you're getting out and your legs are sore at the start and you're thinking I've still got another at least another 15 days of this or maybe more um, I remember yeah, watching uh, I remember doing that zooming in zooming out thing on the map when I was tracking you and it was <clears throat> you'd just crossed the you'd crossed the Severn yeah. Bridge and you were kind of heading into Wales um, which felt like a big milestone that whole section yeah. if it felt like you were in that, did a bit, that yeah. boot of, you know, that kind of boot bit that looks in the the bottom of England. It felt like you were there forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. And, and I guess this kind of starts to talk about how the, the, the coast meanders. And then you start heading east because that's the way the trail goes. So you're not going due north. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I think I would have thrown in a towel at that point. <laughs> it was like, this map is not going, f I'm not going north as it is, and now I have to head east. Um, and I guess that's, that's the challenge you take when you, you undertake a, a, a run like the one you're doing. You know, it's not about getting there the fastest, most economical and quickest way from point to point. It's about following all these established yeah. trails. So... I guess maybe maybe worth just hearing your view on what the trails were like. So um, you take in some of the most iconic trails in the whole of the UK as part of this run, right? Because you're, you start off with the Southwest Coastal Path, I think it's called. 
and, it, and then you, you start hitting trails like yep. you, you effectively yep. do you follow the spine route through the Pennine Way you're hitting the Rob Roy Way you're hitting the John you, you hit a bit of the John Muir Way yep. actually then you hit the West Highland Way and the Cape Wrath Trail what other iconic trails do you hit and just give us a sense of what, what the terrain was like It's just so varied. I mean, I hadn't been on, like I've run a lot of places in the UK, but I hadn't been on the Southwest Coastal Path before, uh, which was the first, I don't know, three or four days, maybe, maybe more or something. But Southwest Coastal Path was stunning, you know, absolutely stunning to run along. Uh, you've obviously, you've got the water on one side and you've got these incredible cliffs that are up and down. But the first couple of days are really tough. And you can see that in the guidebook. You can, you know, I looked at the ascent profile, but um actually some of the sections felt like alpine trails so some of the stuff I do in Sham and obviously not the same length of climbs and descents at all but really steep and really rocky so quite quite difficult and quite taxing really steep climbs you're along a cliff top and then a sharp descent and you just repeat that for I don't know three or four days it was probably um, and even just to think back I think the first couple of days I probably you're probably close to 7,000 metres of ascent or something um, and some fairly big mileage. So they're not easy days and it's that's that's how you start. So you think, what have I got ahead? And then um, as you start to move up, like you said, and, and we got through Cornwall, you get through Devon and then I think we were into um, some kind of sections that looked a little bit easier on paper. So there weren't any big ascent days or anything. They just got super tough, James, and they were they were probably some of the most difficult days actually. Um, places like Somerset and stuff, which I think is mostly kind of farmland, um, and they just there's no care taken on any of the trails at all. You're kind of on these public paths or bridleways, and they're not really marked. They're not really trails or bridleways. You're just crossing these farmers' fields. You're having to go through these huge netto. Um, nettle bushes and climbing over fences and then you get stuck in fields and you have to try and cross a dike or something it was just it was so time consuming and it was so disheartening actually like I had days and days at one point of just going through nettles it was it was absolutely destroying me mentally it just felt like <laughs> death by a thousand paper cuts and it was really just getting you down you just couldn't move then properly James and you're trying to avoid these things and like I must have had thousands and thousands of nettle stings um, and it, it really was disheartening and particularly because you thought I'll be cruising through here before I get on to my next kind of hilly section or something you weren't cruising they were just like really really long days um, and you try to make plans each day because you think you're going to get to a certain point and I knew I was hours off and I knew I was still had a lot to do so um, I think towards the end of that which is I think by the Sunday we'd hit Bristol and I think that's when Gav and I agreed that we're going to get a hotel for the night so that was the first time we're going to get you know a proper shower and I think they actually had a bath I had a bath and we had some food and I did a bit of work and we yep. recorded a podcast that was the one I recorded with you I think and that felt quite good you know because it, it, it helped to finish off that section in my mind and it, it, we were both kind of focused to say let's just start again so we'll, we'll go in on the Sunday night we'll have a nice time we'll get a decent sleep and we start again on Monday um, and that was quite a good good way to do it so I felt a bit more refreshed on the Monday and, and we felt like we're moving on to a different section and then I think we headed towards Wales and like you said you start going the wrong direction um, so you try not to look too closely at the map to see that you're going in the wrong direction um, and then we had some more tough sections after that the, t the toughest sections other than the, the very top quarter up in the north of Scotland um, were some of those kind of farming areas, James. It was just so tough to find the trails. The farmers tried to block off the trails because they don't want people to access them, even though you're supposed to be able to access them publicly. Um, and they're marked somewhere, but they deliberately hide signs and things are closed off and there's no maintenance done at all. So um, some of that was quite disheartening. And I... I you know, you can quickly see how the land is used and you question whether that's the right use for the land and maybe people should have easier access to go and see some of these places and to travel across these places. And I understand why people don't down there in lots of places. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was a bit that, of an eye that, that was some really of those interesting sections. when you seen that come through in some of the chat and when, when I spoke with some of the people who live around some of the areas, because I, I know some people joined you, that I think in Scotland we take the right to roam and what that brings a bit for granted not not for granted because I think that would be as if we should be really grateful for it but at the same time there is an element of gratitude that says whilst we don't have absolute free access to anywhere anytime 
our ability to move across the land seems to be less impinged than it, you know, it was, because I think you told me a story in the, the, the last podcast or, or when we spoke offline about literally yeah. the path two feet to the left of the one that you were being, having to go down the other side of a fence was clear, yeah. was clear trail, but a landowner was, she was, she was agog at the fact that you would, you would even dare mm-hmm. not run through the nettles. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the benefit in Scotland and, and you'll have access arguments with, with estates in Scotland and, and that's fine. But at least with that law in place, at least you can have a conversation, James. I couldn't even have a conversation with that woman because she would just scream and scream, it's my land, my land, get off, get off. Um, and at least in Scotland, you can at least have that conversation and say, listen, I'm entitled to be here. If there's a better way for me to do it that doesn't stress out you or stress out your animals, then fine, let's talk about it. But uh, there was just no way of having a normal conversation with somebody like that who was just crazy. So then that, that it kind of affected me for a couple of days, that, James. Anytime you're going and a lot of this route, you were sent down the side of a farm and technically you're allowed to go there, but you can't see the signs and you have to climb gates and stuff. You were just on edge the whole time. What, when is the next fight that I'm going to have? Or when's the next dog going to appear? That's some kind of sheepdog that's going to be aggressive or a guard dog or something. So um, it did add an extra element of jeopardy sometimes, which... Uh, I mean, when you I, think I, about the journey you're on, all you want to do is move freely through the land and go on this kind of voyage of discovery, you know, discovering your own limits, spending time in your own yeah. mind, all of that kind of good stuff. Yeah, I could understand why that would that would cause you a sense of disruption. Let's move, let's move on from disruption, though. Yeah to something else you've mentioned Gav and you mentioned Graham and, and there was a few others involved in your crew um, there's some amazing compromises he's made by people to support you on this journey tell me a wee bit about the, the, the people that were out there supporting you day after day yeah the the crew was amazing really um, I don't think I can really express uh, just how important those crew athlete relationships are and how much trust is really involved from both sides really and I think you both have to surrender to what's going on and, and what you're involved in and and keeping that one person moving is the most important thing but I think in any relationship you have to be willing to compromise and uh, you have to realise quite quickly that it's really important that everyone's happy and everybody's looked after so Gav, you know in the first two weeks, it was just Gav and I. And, and there's a lot of pressure on Gav then because I'm just saying, right, okay, I'm going to run to that point and I'll get you there and, and we'll get fed and whatever. The pressure sitting on Gav to get there on time and, and have things ready and um, find a place for us to stay that night and make decisions with me about how far are we going to go, how late into the night are we going to go, all those things. There's a huge amount of pressure on the crew um, and I was incredibly grateful for it. But, but quite early on, it did feel like it was a team effort. So it wasn't like they were out to support me. It was like, we're going on this journey together and we're going to complete this journey together. And yes, they're going to have to take some time off and I'll be the one that keeps on running kind of thing. But um, there's no way I could have done it um, without them at all. So the first two weeks, Gav and I, it it was like a really special experience, James. We went to some amazing places. We saw some amazing sights. We met some cool people. We spent a lot of time talking and talking about what we we're trying to do and, and having conversations at night when we finally finished about what had happened in the day and how we feel about things. And um, it was a pretty special experience. And even when at one point I knew Gav was going to have to leave and go back to work and stuff, I had people in the background, you know, um, John did a lot of work. He couldn't come out, but he did a lot of work to try and make sure that there was a crew to come out when Gav had to come back and how that was all going to work and manage and he knows me pretty well John obviously and he knows I'm not great at asking people for help on stuff so he did a lot of organising and you don't have the the capacity to get on the phone all the time either you know I'm running it's not like I'm running for five hours a day and then I've got time off and then running for a couple hours a night you're talking like 12, 13, maybe more um, hours of running each day so you don't have a lot of time to organise that so um John had done some work and Kevin and Bob agreed to come out on, I think it was the Saturday night, so the second Saturday night for the Sunday, Gaff had to get back up the road, so Kevin and Bob came down and even that, James, you realise quite quickly that you, you got used to a routine, Gavin and I had a good routine and we knew what we were doing and and then all of a sudden that's taken away and that, that was my kind of life base, that was, that was everything that I knew and everything that kept me secure and then you've got new people coming in and it's 
it's not my van anymore it's a new van and a new crew and a new way of doing things and it, it added a lot of stress initially but like straight away we just got into a new groove and some new routines and um, totally understood what we were trying to do and supportive of each other and looked after each other and it's not like you really need to appreciate that people are doing this for you but for for the good of completing this whole project so you kind of need to look out for each other too so it's not like I, I wouldn't suggest that you could go and do this and unless you've got loads of money and you just pay people to come and help you or whatever like you can't you can't be demanding on it you know I was doing as much work as the guys were at night time trying to wash dishes and all that kind of stuff and, and make sure people were okay as well and uh, yeah it's a huge sacrifice for people James they're giving up a lot of time but um, we had some amazing experiences too and, and those are times that you really bond with people and you share some memories that you would just never have the opportunity to to, to bond over. And, and I time, guess in, I in, in, in terms of Gav, obviously he spent that, that couple of weeks with you and then you've got Bob and Kevin and then a, a whole bunch of other stuff going on. And you're absolutely right. They kind of give themselves over to the ultimate aim, which is for you to get from one place to another. And you're breaking that down into your kind of micro goals in the day because it's like, I'll meet you five, six, seven miles down the road. I'll get you this far and we'll get you here. And then that builds into your daily goal, which builds yeah, into your yeah. weekly goal, which builds into your overall kind of um, goal for the, the whole journey. But yeah, you, a phrase yeah. that you used, or a word you used time and time and time again throughout that was we. Um, it wasn't, I was out running and someone yeah. looked after me, like two separate entities. And it's just the language you were using. It felt, you used the word team, right? And it can be quite twee. But I guess it's the shared experience. And I know. whilst it feels that like people are giving up stuff to you and in many ways you doing this has given them the opportunity to experience something brilliant as well and I'm sure if I spoke with Gav, Bob, Kevin and everyone else who, who come out and supported you they'd probably all talk about what they took from it as well Yeah, I mean even even when when I talk to Gav about it we, we, we talk about when we did the end-to-end trail it's not like oh when you ran it and I came out to support our crew for you or something it's like yeah. we, we completed that project and everybody involved to help to complete that project which is amazing um, and I just wouldn't change that and that's actually become like a really big part of of these events for me and, and the reason why I run to, to share some of these experiences and it's going back to that point earlier about I have this feeling that when you when you do these things, you release this potential energy to go on and do bigger things, and and sharing and having these experiences with people are are a, a greater importance to me now than they maybe have been in the past. And I saw that at Cape Wrath, and I saw it at the East West Highland Way thing that I did the year before, and that grew into something bigger, and that grew into something else as well. And um, but definitely doing things with people that you care about um, makes a big difference and I know you feel that as well you, you, you your dad often supports your races and stuff uh, and I think uh, totally, totally I think uh, um, and as much for me as, as the motivation to be out there is to share the experiences you've just described it's not just a support me to do this thing it's like come along and be part of this and I, I, I totally seen that and actually talking about being part of it Certainly what I experienced now, I only spent a, a, a small bit of time with you and when, I, when I ran a bit when you were running through central Scotland, but it appeared that there was lots of random folk pot them up at random times in random places across random trails because that's what we were doing um, in terms of the run. And I remember when I spent some time with Dan Lawson when he was doing his, his the jog as well, what he said was, is he, and Dan, if you know Dan at all, anyone who's listening, He's a guy who just leads everything with gratitude, and he would he he believes the universe provides for him, and the right people would turn up at the right time. How did that play out for you in terms of people you know, people you don't know, or people just randomly appearing? What was it like to experience that? It was amazing when people did come out, James. But you know, most days I was on my own. It wasn't like I had somebody running with me every day or anything. But but when it did happen. Uh, it really lifted me. It was a really big change. I remember actually towards the end of day one, um, it was tough day one, you know, because there was a lot of ascent and we'd put a fairly ambitious distance target in for day one just because we didn't really know how it was going to go. Um, a guy, Richard, came out and I saw a guy at the top of this cliff, you know, he looked like a runner and he was standing about on his mobile phone in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I was thinking, I wonder what he's doing. And then he was like, oh, there you are. And that was it. So for the next, I don't know, hour and a half or something, right at the right time for me, James, when I was feeling a bit tired towards the end of the day, it was maybe 
four, five o'clock in the evening or something. Um, I had a guy to just get me along this coastal path, which was just amazing. And then, you know, I had unexpected people just popping up at times. Like I think a few days later, a guy, Stu, had come out in the middle of nowhere in some of these fields and helped for a bit. Giacomo, um, a guy who's been fairly involved in the West Highland Way over the years, uh, came out and ran for a kind of half a day and then he took some washing from me the next day and did some washing for us and we managed to go and pick it up and stuff. So uh, it was amazing. I had... Um, in the Peak District when I got to the Peak District it was kind of Super Saturday it <laughs> felt like James it was my Super Saturday um, like it's close to where my sister and stuff lives but um, uh, Alex came out he had just appeared from nowhere middle of nowhere said oh there you are uh, which was amazing oh, and Jeeve yeah, appeared yeah. you maybe saw a wee video that Jeeve posted there it was just awesome Simon came out that day so I ended up when we were running uh, on some of the edges on the Peak District and up towards Stanage Edge there was like a group of like five or six of us so it kind of felt like a special day it felt like a weekend um, and for for that period then normally when you're on your own you're you know you're obsessed with where you're going how long you've got to get to the till you see gav or you see your crew or whatever and you're just conscious of the miles you still got to do and you're doing a lot of kind of watch watching uh, but those days you just forget about all that and you're just running with people and um, having some conversation so uh, they were really amazing days I had another super Saturday when I got back up into Scotland as well which was incredible loads of people came out so um, yeah it didn't happen most of the days it didn't happen but the days it did happen uh, they were the right people I, I right got time, a, I think. when you were running through that Peak District stuff there I had a, a kind of image of a montage shot like a movie you know where like you know you know, flyaway shots as you're running along the ridges and stuff, and yeah, that's a, it's a great feeling. And and again, there's as, for as many people who turned up, there would be two, three, four, five who would be inspired by watching from afar because it's not accessible for them or it's not the right time and all, all of that. And sometimes you forget you're having that impact when you yeah. do something as epic as this, um, which I, I guess brings me to a, a question, a, a really practical question, and. What was interesting when you were talking earlier on is, is there wasn't like a heap of planning when into the Cape Raft stuff and there was a lot of um, taking it as it comes as you went into the early days of this and feeling your way into it. But there are some fundamentals that you have to be able to do in order to do a multi-stage adventure, whether it's your own adventure. For some people that might be running the West Highland Way over three days, you know, breaking it into three 30, 30 or so mile chunks or doing yeah. something a bit yeah. longer and you you know you're at the extreme end with this this is probably as extreme as you can get in the UK bar running maybe the, the entire coastline yeah but there must be some practical yeah. advice maybe two or three key hints or tips you would give to anyone who's listening to go this is these are fundamentals you must have in place to be able to do something like this is, what, what comes to mind when you think about that for me I mean if you're going to do something totally solo, then I would give different advice. But if you're if you're doing something that you're going to have some kind of crew, then you need to absolutely have the right people around you. It's really hard work for them and it's really tiring for them. And you have to be prepared to make some compromises then and, and kind of look after each other. Um, so whilst they might not be running, like we talked about already, the whole project would have would have ended if somebody couldn't pick me up or find me somewhere to stay at the end of the day and and I was very aware of that um, so you definitely have to have the right people around you and you need to be prepared to do the stuff that you maybe don't want to do to kind of keep them happy and make sure they're getting what they need from it as well because it's fine if it's see if it's a weekend James people are prepared to give up a weekend of their time to go and support someone and, and maybe not have a great time and, and do it because they care about that friend or partner or whoever it is but see when you're asking people to give up Gav gave up three weeks of his holiday effectively for me so I kind of need to be sure he's getting what he needs out of the project too so um, yeah I think that would be the most important thing for me too and and just get some buy-in from them and it feel like a a, a a team project rather than just you wanting to get to the certain point in a certain time um, and putting everything into that. So we, we definitely were a team and it, it definitely felt like it was something we're trying to do together. Um, and that's probably the biggest piece of advice I would think on that. Um, if you're going to do something that's over multiple days, like i done like a, a very long... Um, project like that you, the, the power of sleep is incredible if you don't get enough sleep then that's when things start to go wrong quite quickly it's amazing how much you can recover if you give your body the chance and 
you get you know a solid five or six hours of sleep in a night if you can um, then you can wake up and you can have that horrible feeling that your your Achilles feel a bit tight when you start moving and your legs don't feel all that good but amazing how quickly your body can recover when you get to the point that you can accept what you're doing and stop fighting it and that was the big standout for me I fought it for a long time I fought I fought the miles in my head I fought the number of days in my head um, and I fought how slow things were sometimes and the minute I accepted that this was the situation it was in and I'm just going to get up every day and I'm going to I'm going to run for 12 to 15 hours a day then then everything felt better um, and I didn't have I didn't have any real serious problems with body or anything really um, I think I had I can't remember I had some kind of pain at some point maybe day 18 uh, that didn't feel too good for a few days um, and that was a bit of a concern at one point but other than that um, and the nettle stings and stuff um, I kind of held and together get, I, well I think overall. It's, it's worth pointing out though that a lot of that comes back to as well is just playing the long game on this isn't it you can't just go out and thrash out a a 20 earth day yeah. one because you're feeling fresh and yeah. then wonder why day five feels horrific um, and you see that a lot whether it's like your standard yeah. jog attempts or any multi-day thing it's just about you know managing that early effort as well um, so that that's that's really interesting in terms of um, I guess a, a hint or a tip about you know having the right people about you probably let's get into the the, 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 the guts of actually what it was like because we haven't talked about the length of time it took you and what that looked like but at the end of the day what what how many days did it take you and what did that equate to in average miles and ascent you might not have this to hand but if you just give us roughly you know to the nearest the nearest hour or so yeah yeah i mean that's that's probably a good learning in itself is to maybe not do it by miles that, that's naturally the way you go and that's naturally the way i planned it when you're writing down a plan, I'm like, well, I'll do those miles that day, I'll do those miles the next day. Actually, quite early on, we realised we're going to yeah. have to do this by time, as in, you know, that let's try and let's just try and aim for a for a cut off time at night to say we're not going to run past seven o'clock. And seven o'clock at night was roughly what we were aiming for. We we generally would try to be finished by then. There were some days it would be eight or nine o'clock. There'd be some days we'd finish a bit earlier. Maybe it was five o'clock for for other reasons or because we just didn't have a good place to sleep that night and that was the only way we could do it. Otherwise, we're committed for another five hours or I needed some time to work. And then we had one one day. Oh. It was twenty two hours or something, James. It just it just didn't work out that day and that was quite late on as well in Scotland. And um, yeah, you just have to deal with those things sometimes. But that was probably the toughest toughest point of the whole event I think um, so generally we're probably doing some days it would be close to 50k that day ended up being 110k in a day and that was probably day 20 yeah I remember I remember seeing that one yeah 26 so you're pretty tired and I uh, so like if I had gone out super hard in the first week James to try and stay on some mileage plan I'd never have been able to finish that day um, and I maybe could have got myself in some serious trouble that day um, so yeah yeah, you have to be quite cautious about things um, and know know your own capacity and I don't know my capacity over like 29 days but I've got a good idea of of when my body's starting to say enough's enough just because of all the training and racing I've done over the years so um, yeah yeah it, it's I mean it's still amazing what, what, what we can do the human body and mind can do um, when you've got like a clear goal like that and there's there's a lot of beauty in, in an event like that James and that you've got that single focus really um, and that's the one thing I kind of miss from it um, it's quite difficult when you come back to earth after being focused for 29 days on just moving forward and getting to the next point and keeping moving and looking after yourself getting some sleep getting some food back out again and repeating day after day uh, there's something quite special about that um, and it's been quite difficult to um to live without that yeah, for a while, I think. You, you get to um, decompress from the the nonsense of the world around you, and you realise you realise at the end of it, yeah, whilst there's yeah, been lots of news yeah. and lots of headlines and lots of sensationalism, nothing's changed. Yeah, um, I know, I know, James. I, I never, I never went near the news at all. Like at night, but I'd maybe do a social media post or something, and that was it. I just stayed away from all that, and I didn't miss it. And and you know, day to day, we get caught up in that stuff and. We get into habits about what news we check and getting annoyed about the political situation or anything. And 
I'm not saying we should just ignore it all, but I don't think it did me any harm to step away from that for 29 days and yeah. focus on the stuff that really Context was important. Context is everything, isn't it? So how long, how long in the end did it take you? Do you know? Yeah. I don't know exactly, but it was 29 days, um, which was which was over our, our initial target. But um, to, to do it within 30 days, obviously, in the last um, 10 days was, was quite a focus. And I kind of had to push relatively hard to yeah. to get it in 29 days um, I think I was about 1270 miles so it was maybe 50 60 miles more than the than the uh, book gave which you think in the grand scheme days. of things it's not that much but if you're thinking that's another it's another yeah. two days and, running, and that, effectively and yeah. when you when you kind of put it in that context the numbers we're talking about are enormous it's 29 days it's 51,000 yeah. metres or about 160,000 feet of climb, I think was the number you talked about earlier on. It's nearly 1,300 miles, which is over 2,000 kilometres, if that's the currency you deal with in. And that's before you even yeah. put into consideration yeah. things yeah. like what it was like underfoot, what it was like um, overhead as well. Although I, th- I think you weren't too bad with the weather, you know. I mean, it's not like... When we we did the the Cape Wrath Trail and we decided to do it in yeah. February, you know, it's there, there's stuff like yeah. that that comes yeah. into it, which is, I, 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 when you're talking about one of the big learnings I've taken from listening to you talking about it is is don't rely on what you're reading two dimensions, what you're reading a, a a paper or what you you know or a book or a magazine or what you see on a GPX file, you need to be prepared for everything you've thought it might be being different from what it actually is once you get out there, whether it's the underfoot conditions, the overhead, or even the, the trail that you're actually running through, whether it be nettles or fences. Um, yeah. I, I, the the big thing for me probably, and that's the one thing I was unsure about, is is the continual day after day. You know, it's 29 days without a rest day. It's not like I had two rest days in the middle that you can kick back and get some extra sleep and let your body recover. You're getting up every day and running on average 10 to 12 hours a day, every day. Um, and that was a big learning. Um, and obviously you need some time to recover after after you finish something like that. But amazing what the how the body deals with that, James, and um, it uses what it what it what you put into it and what you give it. So if you get enough sleep and you're careful about what you're eating and uh, your recovery and, and looking after yourself, then your body can survive for a long time doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think properly. you also mentioned the mind as well. Um, you've all, you, you know you talked about yeah. how far your body and mind can push you because ultimately your body will start to resist, but your mind has to push through that. Um, and I think you mentioned day 18 seemed to be a kind of seminal day for that, um, which must have been just about as you were coming into Scotland or maybe approaching Scotland. I don't know how far up the trail you'd have been. Um, what 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 tactics did you have mentally to help you when you were struggling? What kept you going? I had a couple of mantras, James, that I didn't... I didn't I didn't have them before I started. They just kind of came to me and um, I kept them ticking through my mind sometimes. Um, I did a lot of self-reflection and talking to myself, if I'm honest, probably. Um, And then having a good crew helps. So you just focus on getting to the next section, which is similar to what you would do in races and aid stations and stuff. Um, But like like I said earlier, the biggest thing for me was, was accepting where I was and, and that's a learning I can take into races and stuff as well um, accepting the situation as it is and, and dealing with it and moving on instead of spending your time either resisting the situation that you're in or resisting the fact that you feel like it's been bad luck or you've gone the wrong way or the guidebook's you know five miles shorter than what it actually is in reality when you can accept it that's the situation rather than fighting it you're you're saving yourself a whole load of energy and suffering i think and there were days later on you know and that day probably 25 or whatever that ended up i think that particular day you're up near glen Affric and uh, the cape wrath trail and stuff and it was just brutal and we knew it was going to be brutal and i think i'd maybe run like 45k or something when i met gav and alice and had some lunch and stuff and then we talked about what the next section might be <clears throat> and it was no easy way to do it James um, we kind of thought right okay um, either we stop here and we stop really early and it's maybe I don't know it was maybe two or three o'clock in the afternoon 
because the next sections we just can't get into other than you going out there and it's going to be a long section. So I think we'd agreed it was like 45k, another 40k or something like that. I can't remember exactly. And it was either do it or rest now and we'll do it tomorrow and it's going to cost us a bit of time and I just I just wanted to get on with it and get it done. And then it ended up being another like 65k or something when I thought it was going to be 50 and um, on Cape Wrath Trail you think that's only no. 15 more k but it's not 15 more k you know it's like that's a long time that's like 4 or 5 maybe 6 hours sometimes depending where you are and it's the middle of the night then and ended up not getting back into the van and I thought I'd maybe be finished by 9 or 10 o'clock at night I never got into the van until 5.30 in the morning and you know I was miserable and angry and annoyed and frustrated and I wasn't accepting of the situation I don't suppose but I was kind of lucky to get away with that but then you, you realise that, right, I'm going to get an hour or two of sleep. I think I slept for two hours. And then the machine still has to roll on. You still have to get up and you still have to go and put that day in that you'd planned the day before. I still need to go out for another 12 hours. So um, stuff like that is tough. Um, and it's tough to stay mentally sharp on that and, and not get emotionally involved. And and I did get emotion, emotional about that day probably because I felt like... I ended up in a situation that was quite dangerous and um, it worked out in the end and it was fine but um, I think we all got emotional there was three of us crewing at that point and the next morning was kind of tough and it kind of broke us for a bit but you just get back on track again and by the next time I met them um, we were having lunch and we were laughing again and moving forward and and I guess one of the things there at the back of that would have been if you hadn't had a couple of hours sleep and then just got on with it you'd have wasted the effort from what you've yeah. done the night before because you'd, yeah. you'd been as well staying where you were and two things that jumped out at me as you talked about that was is fundamentally the, 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 the strength and the mantras and the things we draw on and a long thing like this are no different from the things we might draw on a short event we just draw on them more often that was yeah. one thing that jumped out at me and uh, that you almost glossed over it but that ability to stay in the present or find your way back to the present and then anchor yourself there as opposed to extrapolating out the 10 days you've still to go or the fact that you're going east and west when you would want to go north but actually just saying it's the next step that matters and the next you know the next milestones all that matters becomes it's a, it's a really hard trick it sounds really simple to do but it can be really hard to stop yourself becoming disillusioned and fantasising about futures when actually you've got a present to deal with isn't it yeah it's a funny one James it's, it's like you said it's similar to what we do in races but I got very focused on the place that I'd agreed I would meet the crew and that's that was my focus you know consistently whether it took me an hour or it was a six hour section that's all I focused on and then the minute I got there I, for, I would forget what the name of the place that I was so focused on for, for that five hour period you know because you're just on to the next one then and it was just yeah. doing that time and time again and just keeping it kind of small and um, obviously you can't help but have a, a bigger view on what you've still got left to do but um, I was just taking it a day at a time and a section at a time. And I know Amazing. that's kind of cliche, but... It's, it might be cliche, but it works, right? And there's a reason why we talk about it often and over and over and over again. And out of all of this, you've learnt loads. You've found... I mean, it's mind-boggling. I still can't get my head around it, even though I followed it and even though I've had, you know, some of the inside track from you before on it. And I think it's an incredible achievement that... I don't think will be appreciated until someone else has a go at it and you know you'll see a kind of a level of attrition and breakdown that they'll have to go through and you'll be able to watch it from afar as well so it kind of lays down a marker for others to follow yeah. but stuff has to follow that Paul for you um, so the last question I have for you is, is what next how do you follow that it's uh, a good question James I think even you know thinking about other people doing this same route or whatever and before I would have been <clears throat> like well I want to set the fastest time on it and if somebody comes and breaks it it'd be terrible I need to go and do it again or something it's like something like that is is so unique to the time that you've done it that even if somebody does it and does it in three days less it's never the same you know it's always changing it's a different time of year there's different circumstances and, and I think that's the beauty of doing something like this it's like it'll always stand in my mind anyway it'll always stand as something that was achieved in that particular time um, and it can never be taken away from from, yeah. from me if you know what I mean um, unlike 
I guess you could argue, unlike races that are run on the exact same course at the same time of year and everything else, maybe. I know they have different conditions every time, but um, yeah. So from my side of things, I've got I've got two other big projects on the horizon that have been, one of them has been bubbling around for a long time um, and this was a good test event for that, if you like. So uh, I have it clear in my mind about uh, that I definitely want to do it. Um, and I'm much better informed now about how I would go about doing it and what I'd need to do and who I'd need to have involved and that kind of thing. The second one is a bit newer to me. Um, it's an idea. I just, I'm lucky with these. I don't know where they come from sometimes, James, but um, I don't know. <clears throat> Maybe sometimes things are just presented to you at the right time and you take notice of them or something. It wasn't presented to me like somebody saying do this. It's just something I came across. Um, so I've got a couple of projects. One I would hope to get done next year and the one the second one in 2023 if if I'm lucky enough to be able to pull them together. The trouble with these things um, is that, you know, they're super expensive to do. It's like, yeah, and I, I, I don't mind, it's not like I'm, I'm looking for, and I've seen these people, James, doing even the uh, joggle attempts and stuff on the road and they put up these GoFundMe pages and yep. they're saying they're doing it for charity but the first 10 grand is to allow them to put on the event and stuff like that and I don't necessarily it's not the approach I want to take with things right so it's a big sacrifice for me but in a way I'm I'm showing people that it means so much to me that it's a big part of my life and it's not something I'm just treating as a project you know it's something that I'm investing in because I think it's going to help me as an individual um, so the the two the two projects I've still got on the table are, are not going to be cheap to do but something I'm willing to sacrifice and and, and invest in if I can um, but there's a lot of planning and hard work involved and I'd need to get some support some financial support at some point um, so yeah I'm, I'm working my way through them James hopefully um, I'll do a race early next year um, in the US all going to plan um, so I'm looking forward to that and getting back racing it's been a long time since I've raced so um, yeah hopefully that'll come off and I'll maybe get back to the tour next year I've never done it I was supposed to do it two years ago I was supposed to do it this year but um, yeah maybe get back to the tour uh, it would be good towards the end of next year lots and lots and lots bubbling under there's the, the thing you take away and I won't press you on what they are because <clears throat> I think we can talk about them in future episodes of the, the podcast yeah. as they get yeah. nearer and you start to round them out a wee bit more but one thing I do want to pull out of what you just said there was is sometimes things present themselves to you and from that you know ideas blossom and it's yeah. a really neat way we've almost gone full circle in this podcast because it brings us back to the point of finding a book in a library for 20 pence set you off on a 29, um, 29 day nearly 1300 yeah. mile you know elevation that would make your nosebleed journey a 20 yeah. pence book second hand in a library bin so it just yeah. shows you inspiration's all around us it is James and, and the events and the people that we have around us they, they help to unlock that potential so being around um, Graham and Gav and whatever for the Cape Wrath Trail effectively unlocked this end-to-end trail and the end-to-end trail will unlock something else in my future too so um, yeah it's quite interesting I love that idea of this potential energy being released every time you have these big experiences that you take on and that might be a race or it might be somebody just committing to say well I really want to run a marathon and, and that eventually will unlock something else in the future too so um, yeah I, I love that idea of um, some potential energy that can be released every time we have these experiences that we we show some vulnerability and um, we take some chances and um, do something that we're not absolutely sure about potential unlocked love it what a way to end Paul thank you so much for taking the time to talk us through I hope dear listeners as you're listening to Paul there you've taken a lot away from it I think it will probably merit a couple of you know runs through for you probably to pull out some of the gold but we would love to hear from you if there's any further questions you want us to ask Paul when we have a further podcast down the line or just drop us a line on our social media channels you'll see them in the show notes for, for this particular episode but I really, really hope those of you listening, whether, as I said earlier, you're at home, you're in the car, you're on the trails running or you're out walking, that you've taken lots from this. I certainly have. Paul, I hope you've enjoyed reliving the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of it it is so difficult, James, when I was trying to think about it today. It it kind of merges into one, even though 
when you're out there they're very distinct days and very distinct memories of things that happen but um, yeah when you step away from it for a while it kind of merges into one but maybe yeah. I was thinking James if anybody was interested we could maybe do like a live call or something a video call and let people ask questions or something if anybody was interested in talking more about it we could record that as a podcast at some point maybe I don't know I'm pretty sure we would get an audience for that so let's put it out there now and we'll follow that up with some messages out on social media to get people engaged on that cool nice one can I just say one more thing James actually of course um, just on the pylon coaching thing we are going to we're seven years old uh, this month which is amazing um, started in 2014 so uh, we're excited about being seven um, and we've created a new product um, a new coaching service really to hopefully reach out to people who are committed to running shorter distance races and stuff so um, maybe doing 5k and you want to run your absolute uh, PB at the park run or you want to move up to 10k races or you're looking to um, run fast half marathons or marathons and uh, we kind of felt like our experience over the last seven years James we could reach out to these people too and, and give the same kind of level of service that we give to our ultra athletes so I'm quite excited about that and hopefully um, we'll get to work with some new people and some new types of people and that'll keep it fresh for all of us Brilliant, how can people find out more about that Paul? Uh, I've put a page on the website actually um, so pylonultra.com and it's called Tracks uh, which stands for Trail, Road and Cross Country um, and we've got Rob Turner has joined the coaching team too so he's going to look after some of those athletes which is great and um, yeah I'm just excited James, we seem to be um, reaching a lot of people and making a difference in people's lives and, and that's the most important thing with it all I think Brilliant, so that's pylonultra.com slash T-R-A-X if you want to know more and uh, listen, having Bob Turner involved in it um, I could do with some lessons from Fast Bob when it comes to getting that leg turnover for the, the marathon and 100k type distance so I'm sure he will be an amazing addition to the team and anyone who gets the opportunity to work with him will learn lots and yeah, they'll get they'll get a very diligent, capable, experienced and exceptional athlete in their side. Yeah, yeah. should be good. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. All right, mate. Well, Thank we're you. Done. Well, Paul, it's a pleasure. Um, let's get back to recording. I'm sure people can look forward to his getting back into a more um, concerted rhythm across the yep. winter as we just dive into the training and there's a few things we need to talk about so watch this space for more episodes from the Pile and Ultra pod as we um, run through November, December and into the first part of 2022 but for now hope you've enjoyed this very very special edition of Paul talking about his epic end-to-end trail which still blows my mind today thank you so much thank you Paul cheers bye